This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. I'm part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. But enough about me. You've heard plenty about me. Today, you're going to hear from my boss, Ed Lee. He's Recode's managing editor. He recently talked to Univision executive Tanya O'Connor. She's going to explain how TV works today and how that might change very soon. Let's take a listen. Thanks, Peter. I'm here with Univision Chief Revenue Officer Tanya O'Connor. Tanya, welcome. Hi, thank you. Uh, Chief Revenue Officer, there's actually a new title for you. You got a, a nice uh, bump up, right? It was like a week or so ago that you got this uh, new new gig? It was on uh, Tuesday. Wow, okay. So congrats. Uh, what does that mean, Chief Revenue Officer? What is What are you in charge of now? Uh, that means that I'm overseeing all of the revenue of Univision Communications, Inc., which includes advertising revenue uh, across all of our platforms, linear television, digital, as well as our distribution revenue. The stuff basically when you're selling the feed to the cable and the other distributors, right? So That's right. So we sell, uh, we distribute our linear networks to, uh, to cable and satellite operators, as well as some of the new emerging platforms. We also sell our content to SVOD providers like Netflix um, and Facebook. We, we recently did a, uh, a deal for Liga MX. Uh, with Facebook. That's so, the Mexican uh, soccer, football. Correct, right. correct, which yeah. happens to be the most watched soccer in all of uh, the U.S., in case you didn't know that. Well, it, it stands to reason, right, because U.S. soccer isn't that great. Oh, it's great. It's great. <laughs> it just so happens that Liga MX has, has more viewership. So basically, you're in charge of all the revenue, which could we say that you basically run the business now? You, you run the company. The, the... Well, I report to Randy Falco, right. he's who, a CEO, who right? runs. He's a CEO, and he he runs the business. But uh, but yeah, I have um, I have a, a lot of responsibility in terms of making sure that we are hitting our numbers and achieving our revenue targets. So let's take a step back for a second. I mean, I th- I'm sure people know what Univision is in the back of their minds. Like, yeah, that's that Spanish TV network, right? Which it is. But then there's a lot more going on with this company than just that. You guys own a bunch of cable networks. Networks. There's Fusion TV, which we can get to at some point, and then also El Rey and a bunch of others. El Rey is the the it's it's Robert Rodriguez, right? The, That's the filmmaker correct. who's behind that, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then a bunch of online properties, right? You guys acquired the Gawker Media sites without Gawker.com the last year. Sans Gawker, correct? Sans Gawker, yes. Uh, uh, last year, and also Fusion, as we mentioned, and then other sites like The Root, The Onion. Um, you guys have a lot of properties. We do. We do. And I'm so glad you asked that because uh, most people just think of us as being Univision, Univision right. which is our flagship uh, network. Uh, so let me summarize it. Let me just recap sure. a little bit of what, yeah, of you, what you the, said. Yes, do the, the so, whole pitch. Yeah. Uh, and, and I actually lo- I love telling um, this part of our, our history because it's changed so much in the last 10 years since I've been with, with the company. Uh, when I joined in, in 2008, we had three networks, uh, three linear networks, Univision, Unimas, which are two broadcast networks, uh, and then uh, Galavision, which is our, uh, our, our general entertainment cable network. And uh, since then, we've expanded to include now 17 networks, which is both linear and digital. Uh, we have Univision Deportes Network, which is our sports network 
network and uh, happens to rate very, very highly. Uh, a couple of uh, last year, we beat ESPN even. Um, That's and something, yeah. Yeah, we are we are the home of soccer. No other media company has more soccer rights than than Univision. So you can imagine, just given the popularity of the sport beyond even Liga MX, uh, what that means for us in terms of a viewership and uh, and a fan base. It's the most popular sport around the world, and as we know, sports is important to television. So yes, we can do that math. It's, it's That's all, right. It lines up all nicely. So you you mentioned a few times earlier linear television streaming or SVOD. I think. You know, we just think of it as TV, but linear, when you say linear, you're referring to just the regular broadcast feed like we're used to seeing. Let's talk about that for a bit, though. Just, I think, as a step back, you know, there's broadcast networks like what Univision is. as also cable networks, which go directly to a feed. What Just in terms of when you sell the rights, when you sell the, the feeds, basically, to whether it's Comcast or Charter mm-hmm. or Dish, DirecTV, that kind of thing. What's the difference or how does that work? What's what's th- that job like of just like actually negotiating? So what, what are the ins and outs of that? <laughs> how long do we have? Well, uh, we could, <laughs> as much time as you want. Um, well, it's uh, it's it's it's. First of all, it's a great. It's it's been my most of my career I've spent in, on the distribution side. So of course I like it and I find it to be uh, very interesting and fun and also extremely challenging. And it's becoming even more challenging. Uh, let me back up for a second though and just um, just highlight that uh, there are two primary revenue streams in a media company. One is advertising and the other is distribution. And uh, the primary difference between those two uh, those two areas of the business is that. Advertising really has unlimited potential in terms of the number of customers that you could serve, right? On the adver- on the distribution side, however, uh, there's been really um, a limited or finite number of customers that you could distribute your content to. There are only so many cable companies and ca- satellite companies. Of course, now, given uh, all of the, you know, the technology and the fact that everybody walks around with a TV in their pocket, there's been a lot more opportunities uh, for uh, for us to distribute our content. Like Netflix or Hulu. That, exactly. Right. Exactly, but um, but because of um, the fact that the the MVPDs, um, which again, cable, satellite, telco, um, there's always just been a limited number of them. Um, it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the deal making, meaning that you need to get you you need to make sure that your content is distributed with those with those providers. You have to get picked up by you said MVPDs. These are we're talking about the cable and satellite guys, like Charter, like Comcast, exactly. Like, right. Um, it, so. That, as you point out, is there's a limited amount of those companies, but also the amount of people paying for a television is shrinking, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's something like 95 million or 90 million, and it's only going to go down over the next few years. Uh, it goes down every quarter. We we see we've been in earnings season this week right and now, Comcast, yep. and yes. you know we're seeing that they've had fewer video subs every quarter, and that's not a surprise, but it's just going to keep going that way. So. What does that mean for you guys? Well, uh, it's it uh, as I said, um, there are now a lot more other opportunities where we can monetize our content. So we, of course, are being very opportunistic and we're pursuing those opportunities. Uh, you mentioned Hulu and you know some of the other uh, SVOD providers. Uh, Verizon is a very interesting uh, customer of ours because they happen to have they encompass all of those platforms, right? They have uh, they have a cable uh, they have a cable operation sure. with FiOS. FiOS right. Uh, 
they also have uh, they have Verizon Wireless, and they're very active in terms of acquiring content and rights to distribute to their wireless customers. Is this their the Go ninety thing that they've got? Well, Go ninety. I mean, Go ninety is available to their wireless customers, right. but it's also available to anybody um, who happens to have an internet connection or what you know a wireless um, uh, platform. Uh, Go ninety is uh, that you know is is speculated to be evolving into more of an SVOD platform. So there's so many different opportunities and plays uh, for a media company now on which to distribute the content. And so, uh, yeah, while the pay TV business is uh, is mature and, as you pointed out, um, you know, declining, um, there are, you know, we we have opportunity to do, you know, to pursue other other platforms like as well. So you are you are cutting some kind of thing with Verizon then. There's some kind of Well, Verizon distributes our content. Right. I mean, we have a good with they distribute all of our networks with Fios right. and then also um, on Go90. So and as they're they just, you know, acquired Yahoo and they have the whole Oath portfolio. So I mean, is the Go90 um, thing is that does that work? Is it good? It's it's the short form stuff, right? Like why it it's short form content. It's specific to Verizon customers. They've been talking about it for years and years. They, it's something I always hear about, never really quite see. Yeah, well, I, remember, all of this is, a, you know, everybody's experimenting right now. Right. Does it work? I, You know, I, I, I can't be the judge of what works or what doesn't work and how do you measure. I mean, what what you'd have to ask Verizon what their goals are in, in terms of offering that kind of content into the marketplace and uh, and then determine whether, you know, it works or not. But again, I think that we are, comp- we, we are in a... Uh, well, first of all, media really this it's the consumer age of media, right? Now now the consumer is really dictating to all of the media companies, all of the, to all of the content providers uh, what they want and where they want it, how they want to receive it. And what's really great about what's happening in the industry right now is that uh, we're all responding, or at least we're trying to to be responsive to that. And uh, technology and uh, the platforms that are available to to us now give us unlimited opportunity to test that. And we're all testing. And so, yeah, some of it works, some of it doesn't work. But um, we're you know th- the biggest mistake to make right now would be not making mistakes. Right. Or you should you should be trying these things. And if it's something like a Go ninety, if it works, it doesn't work. As long as you guys get paid for for each subscriber into it, that's that's the main thing. Right? Monetization is a priority for us. That yeah. is correct. <laughs> so, well, that's the thing. I think um, when you cut these deals, you're going to the the Verizons, the Comcast, the Charters, and say, hey, we've got a bunch of networks that we know people want. Uh, that Some of it include sports or telenovela-type shows, which are hugely popular or getting more popular. So, you know, you bundle them all together, right, and say, hey, here's all of our networks, including Univision. We're going to sell it to you in a big bundle, that you know, it's going to provide a lot of value for all your subscribers, and we want five bucks a month, or we want ten, whatever the number ends up being. Like ESPN famously gets like more than nine dollars a sub every month, which is huge. CBS, which is like the most watched uh, broadcast network, or one of them certainly these days gets something like two dollars a month. Is that the strategy? Is that you're bundling these together and selling them in, in one group, or are you selling them a la carte? Or 
we're talking about consumer choice, right? Yeah. That's the thing. That's yeah. where I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Well, it is our priority to distribute our content as broad in our networks as broadly as we possibly can. So the negotiation starts with uh, um, a an offer that includes all of our networks for a certain price. Uh, if they are unable to distribute our net, all of our networks in the exact way that we want, that you know we've we've initially proposed, then uh, we we will ab- we're absolutely open minded to looking at different um, different ways of of distributing or offering that to them. Um, whether it be just a couple of them, uh, you mentioned Fusion and El Rey pr- previously. Uh, I skipped over, forgot to mention that those are our, now our English language. Not only do we have Spanish language in our portfolio, but we also have English language. And that's El Rey, uh, which we're in partnership with Robert Rodriguez and Fusion. And uh, maybe they just want English, um, some English uh, networks from us, in which case we would be you know, willing to do that deal with them as well. So it's, uh, it's a negotiation, and we're trying to find uh, a match in terms of what they need, they being the distributor, uh, and what we're you know, looking to achieve in terms of value for each and every single one of our, our networks. But then when you go through these renewal cycles, right, you re-up, you know, you want more, right, per, per subscriber every month. That's how every every broadcaster, every network is doing it these days. Well, we want the cable it, guys. They're like, well, oh, come on, we, yeah. we can't. You know, you make us pay more. We have to charge our customers more, and they get upset, and no one wants to watch TV anymore. Mm-hmm. So. Where do you get? How does that get dealt? Uh, I would say it a little differently. We okay. want an equitable value exchange okay. and give. Is that how you guys talk about it? We want an equitable <laughs> and, value, value exchange. And well, that's, you know. uh, actually, I mean, it's it, it's it's true. Right. Uh, when you look at our portfolio and you consider that uh, Univision has been the number one Hispanic network for over fifty years, uh, and you know our our sports content and our sports offering continues to uh, to deliver and grow. I mean. Liga MX and and viewership for Liga MX on our networks is up season to date. When even the NFL has been down, I mean, there's uh, sports viewership has been down. We as long as we continue to deliver and uh, we're offering a value proposition to the distributor that they can then take to and offer to their customers, then absolutely, I I, want to be paid fairly for that. They don't want to pay more though. They never want to pay. Who more. Do, who whoever wants to pay more? That's not. But that's the that's the going. That's like the initial. That's like the obvious thing when you go in. So then they're going to want other things. We're going to pay you more. I want more online rights. I want to be able to stream this to my customers on an authenticated basis, etc. Are these yes? Are those parts of the negotiations getting more contentious, or are there things more things you're offering that way beyond just the the number, beyond just the amount that you're asking? For? Uh, we are. Uh, I would say that that part of it is not contentious, and yeah. here's why: because we're in business together, right? I mean, the more the more subscribers that uh, that all of the cable and satellite customer or satellite companies have, uh, the more business I have. The you know, and the more the more uh, customers that can access our networks. That's a good thing. I I want them to be successful. And uh, uh, we we built our distribution business. I When I joined the company in 2008, uh, we didn't really have negotiations or we were just distributing our networks for free to the distributors. And so uh, my team and I built that business for, for Univision. It was part of our, our current owners. Uh, that was part of their investment thesis that they wanted to uh, build a revenue stream around the distribution of our networks. And we wanted to add more networks to the portfolio. And the way in which we did that, and we were very successful with it, but um, the way we 
did it is that we went in and we proposed a partnership with all of the distributors. We understood that it was going to be a pain point for them to start paying us when they had been basically getting it for, for free. free. Yeah. But in exchange for that, what we said is that we have an extremely close relationship with the Hispanic consumer. There isn't any other media brand that has the loyalty uh, from its customer base that, that Univision does. And we're, we're going to let you leverage that for the benefit of your business, meaning we're going to, we're going to work with you uh, to market directly to Hispanics so that they understand the value proposition that you're bringing to them. If you're Comcast, the fact that you not only have a robust portfolio of, of, of Hispanic networks to offer to them, but also broadband. And then uh, obviously, um, you know, they have voice and, you know, telephone service to offer. So we work closely. In some cases, we even act as somewhat of a creative agency for them in that we're, we're, we're using our talent and we're creating commercials for them. Again, to market directly to our core consumer. And help help these guys get more subscribers, hopefully, right? At least Absolutely. Okay. Whether it's retention or, or acquisition. And of course, they have a lot of new technology and services that they're bringing to the consumer. And we've we've been on that journey with them together. So it's a partnership. It works, you know, for the most part, or mostly works. And, you know, these guys like getting your, your stuff. Uh, but there are hiccups sometimes. Uh, you guys had something with Charter recently, right? So Charter is now the second largest cable operator in the U.S. They bought Time Warner Cable, which is in the New York, L.A. area, uh, which is my my cable system uh, at home in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, they bought – so Charter bought Time Warner Cable, and then Charter was going to – they were on a renewal cycle with, with you guys, with Univision. They basically said, actually, since we now own Time Warner Cable, we want to just pay you what Time Warner Cable was paying you, which was less than what Charter was paying is that about sum it up in terms of the situation? Uh, that's somewhat. That, that's okay, somewhat. What's it, how would you? How would you? <laughs> what did I miss? What did I leave out? What did I? What did I? Yeah, gloss over? I mean, look, you're you're right. Charter Charter bought Time Warner, and as a result of buying Time Warner, uh, their um, I. I you know their their position has been that they want to you know leverage the larger size of scale that they have now to achieve better uh, economics with uh, with they, with they want to pay less. We have a, a new system that was paying you less. We were going to pay you that rate, and you guys said you can't do that. Sorry. So you guys took them to court. Still, still ongoing, right? It is still it is still ongoing. Which what's uh, what's the current status? Is it just more paperwork, more more motions back and forth? There's is any any no. There's lots of filings and back. Right. I don't, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so. Um, but what, what I what I do know is that. Uh, I, I, Charter, that team, they're they're excellent operators. Uh, you, you just said yourself, you're a customer. I'm a customer as well, and uh, they've uh, I think they've done an outstanding job since they acquired the Time Warner Systems, and it's going to get better. And they own the largest Hispanic markets in this country: Los Angeles, New York, Texas. And so uh, we very much want to have the dispute behind us, and we want to be in business. They're very good partners in that respect, and so we want to do more business with very, them. Very great di- diplomatic. Put. That's, I think it's great. It's good for negotiations um, or the ongoing negotiations. You guys aren't the only ones. I mean, Fox News, Showtime, they also took uh, charter mm-hmm. to court for trying to do the same thing uh, after after Time Warner. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is that like there's what part you know what sparked this is the merger, right? So yes, after they bought yes. Time Warner, it's happening on both sides though, right? The cable systems or the distribution systems are are merging, like Charter and Time Warner, and 
you know, there's some news out uh, the, today and over the last few weeks that Discovery and scripts are tying up. And it looks like that's going to happen. So the on the programming side, yes. like the content side. So in other words, it's like if the distributors are getting bigger, the programmers have to get bigger so that when you go into these negotiations, they have equal leverage or similar leverage, right? You don't want to be behind. Is that good for the industry? Is that is this going to be – is this the way it's going to go forward? Uh, consolidation? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I think consolidation is um, is absolutely a trend that will continue. Uh, I think the big reason for that is that you know there there's talk that you know we're also in a state of convergence between technology and media. I think probably a better way to say it is that you know technology is kind of overtaking media. When you look at you know Facebook released um, their earnings this week and f- you know just more phenomenal growth. Um, they have deep pockets. Not only Facebook, but the other you know tech giants. They have deep pockets and they have algorithms <laughs> that inform them on how to now create um, custom or original content, and uh, that is. Um, you know, it's it's impacting. It's certainly impacting the business in that the traditional media business and that the consumers just have more choice. So, in response to that, yeah, I think everyone's trying to you know get be, become bigger, and you know, consolidation is is certainly um, the, the way to do that. We're going to take a quick break now, so Peter Kafka can read a word from our sponsors. We'll get back in a minute with Tanya. Thanks, Ed. Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. If you send money internationally, you know that is an expensive and time-consuming process, and the exchange rate you get from your bank can be shocking. So the next time you need to send money around the world, use TransferWise. They give you a great exchange rate, so your money goes further, and you pay only one small upfront fee. It's easy and simple to set it up. You know exactly what you're going to pay upfront, and you get the real exchange rate, no markup. TransferWise was founded by two friends. They were immigrants from Estonia. They were sick of being ripped off when they sent their money home, so they solved their problem by creating a company. There is nothing more American than that. So today, TransferWise lets millions of people and businesses all over the world send money all over the world. See how much you can save at TransferWise.com. You can download the Android or iOS app. Once again, that's TransferWise, W-I-S-E.com. Transfer because you're transferring money around the world and wise because you're a wise person who listens to Recode Media. TransferWise.com. Here's my boss and partner and friend, Kara Swisher, with a word from another sponsor. In the information age, data is the new oil, which is why Amazon Web Services built Amazon Kinesis, a powerful new way to collect, process, and analyze streaming data so you can get timely insights and react quickly. Websites, mobile apps, IoT sensors, and the like can generate a huge amount of streaming data, sometimes terabytes an hour. If processed continually, all that data can help you learn about what your customers, products, and applications are doing right now and take actions in real time. Amazon Kinesis from AWS lets you do that easily for less. With Kinesis, you pay only for the resources you use. No minimums, no upfront commitments. Learn more at kinesis.aws. Back to you, Ed. Thanks, Peter. We're back here with Tanya. You mentioned that there are other players, of course, now in streaming, right? So YouTube has one and, you know, there's Dish and, of course, Netflix and Hulu Mm -hmm. are are existing sort of uh, distribution points for what you guys do. Is that – would that be better for you if, say, Facebook and Amazon just said, you know, we're going to just snap up linear television, the broadcast and the cable networks and just redistribute it to our customers in a way that is similar to cable, maybe better terms – 
Do you foresee that happening in the next like few years even? I, I Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. I mean, they're dipping their toe in the water now. Uh, they're going to be uh, – Facebook will be launching, um, you know, a video, of, a premium video uh, tab that will be available to their consumers, not just short form but also long form content. Uh, could that evolve then into them carrying linear uh, – live linear channels? Absolutely. I mean, look at what Snapchat has done in terms of building – uh, the Discover platform. I mean, when that first launched, it looked very much like a channel lineup. That's publishers and, on Snapchat with yes. these short, short form, you know, seven minute, five minute, two minute videos. And it's controlled shelf space, just like a cable channel lineup is. Um, could that become a, uh, you know, the the next gen of, uh, of cable? <laughs> Why not? Why not? And But if that were to happen, or as it's happening, and I think... You know, the, the longstanding consumer complaint with cable has been just there are too many channels. I don't watch all these things. Or the cable operators themselves are like, well, we have to offer all these channels because that's how they're sold to us. Are, just th- are there too many channels? Do you guys have too many channels? Would you would you slim down some of your networks? You no. I, I think we um, our portfolio is – the size of our portfolio is extremely appropriate. Uh, we've been very thoughtful about that. Uh, you can imagine that a lot of uh, a lot of people have come to us and asked to partner with us because uh, we are the leader when it comes to Hispanic and multi- multicultural content, and that is an area where uh, most companies realize that they have to be in that business in order to continue growing. So we get a lot of uh, we get a lot of proposals in terms of partnership and launching new channels. We've been very disciplined and very focused on where we've invested and how we've. Uh, elected to launch channels and I feel that our um, that our the, our portfolio is exactly the right size do you think so I mean so in the case as I, as I mentioned earlier with discovery and scripts is a recent example of them bulking up and adding more networks in, in a combined company I mean that that'll probably help them in negotiations when they go into the next round with the charters and the Comcast world since they've they've got more leverage. Do you think that's a good thing, or do you think some companies are just have too many networks? To yeah, I don't. You know, look, I'm not in the room uh, in negotiating or representing Discovery or uh, or Scripps, so I can't say you know what they need in order to uh, to do better. But I would surmise, given the fact that they're uh, they're pursuing that um, that transaction, that they must those are they're very smart people in those companies, so they must believe that that is going to better position them in um, in their negotiations. I mean, so speaking of all these deals, I mean, Univision, you guys are being chased right now, right? So there have been reports about John Malone looking to invest. He tried to do that a while ago. <laughs> he tried to do it again. First of all, who owns Univision? It's not a public company. Or, We're not public. Yeah. We're not public. We're primarily owned by uh, private equity firms, uh, which is why we think it's so funny that there's all of this talk about the fact that we're going to possibly be bought. I mean, that is the PE model. That, that's the whole, that was the whole point in the first the whole place, point. right? Yes, that's uh, that there will be uh, at some point they, uh, the current owners will exit and uh, will either be a public company or will be owned by by somebody else. So, so you could go IPO, and I know there's been a it's like a longstanding sort of run up to possible IPO. You guys filed your S1 some years ago. Hasn't quite happened yet. So is the, as far as you know, is it the idea that, well, if someone wants to come buy us or IPO, whichever one will give us a better return on an exit, that's the way we'll go. Is that sort of more or less a calculus? Well, I mean, I'm not I'm not part of that decision making, uh, but um, you know, we're we're super focused again on just uh, the marketplace and making sure that we, especially now, me in in this role, you know, very focused on uh, achieving our targets and in, in revenue, and so. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's there. Uh, you know, ev- I think everything's a possibility on the table, especially in this environment. Um, I mean, speaking of ownership, Televisa, which is a Mexican broadcast TV company, massive uh, there. They yeah, they're the like, largest distributor of Spanish language content in the world. In the world, right. Yeah. Um, and you guys have a pretty close partnership, though, right? So we have Televisa, a very close partnership. They own like 10% of Univision, but more importantly, they, they supply pretty much all the major programming that you guys run. Right? Yeah, they oh, yeah. are. They, uh, Televisa is our primary content yeah. supplier. And I think it was not that long ago that uh, Isaac Lee, who heads up content for Univision, he is now also heading up content for Televisa. That's which correct. I guess makes sense if, if it's all going to run on both systems. You know, you have one guy in charge of that. I mean, it just seems like you guys are getting closer and closer and closer at some point. You know, is that, does that make it hard for an exit, do you think, for the, the owners? Or is it just a longstanding agreement? Look, the beautiful thing about uh, about the relationship that we have with Televisa and uh, the the fact that they supply um, the majority of our content is that, you know, we have a focus group in Mexico <laughs> where we can, you know, test out the content that um, that we ultimately distribute here. Um, we have excellent margins, probably, you know, some of the best in the business. And so um, that's all a positive in terms of Univision and uh, this company as, you know, as an asset or a potential, you know, acquisition targets so but is the idea with Isaac running that now is it like to kind of shake up the actual content the kinds of shows that are telenovelas sort of going out of favor and other types of shows are coming into favor what's what's that yeah I you know Isaac in that role is an opportunity for us to um, back to what I said earlier about experimentation I mean the marketplace and the consumer behavior is evolving um, so rapidly that and 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 the the US market is is different than the Mexican market as well you have to take that into account and so to have one cohesive content strategy strategy and content team, um, that provides us with a ton of efficiency. And it also puts us in a position where we can react very quickly, most importantly. Is there, I mean, will there be more differentiation in the content, though? I mean, given the U.S. market is different from the Mexican market, right? I think, you know, U.S. Latinos might have a different sort of thing that might be interested in terms of content. Is that the idea as well? Is, is To change the programming from region to region, or is it is that is that still going to be the one the one stream of content that's playing across both systems, both countries. Yeah, I mean, look, I, again, I think that it is. Uh, it's. It's. There's a possibility that that it could be. It could be different. We could. We, they could be creating content differently for the U.S. versus Mexico. Um, but what's really important right now is is we're focused on consumer behavior and reaction. And consumer insights is incredibly important, um, not only to our company but to you know every content creator in the marketplace. And we're going to let that dictate um, the direction in which we go. Okay, we'll talk a brief bit about fusion, right? It's definitely one of the more ambitious media startups in years. Uh, Gawker's now part of it, I think, and when, when you guys acquired it, was folded into that. Um, what's going on with Fusion right now? I know I know want the rebrand. Is it called something else now? What is it called? Well, Fusion TV, uh, and I oversee the distribution for um, for Fusion TV. Um, that was um, that initially launched as a partnership with ABC News, right. and uh, we recently um, acquired uh, ABC's. Ownership and now we we wholly own the um, the asset. So uh, and Fusion TV is separate from the web play. That's correct. Right. That's correct. Fusion TV is separate, and uh, the um, the digital uh, asset is part of the um, our overall digital portfolio, which, as you said, includes uh, the formerly known as Gawker. Is that what we're going to call formerly known as Gawker? Is that how you refer to uh, internally? No, we don't actually. It's um, Gizmodo Media Group. Right. 
and all of the uh, the the remaining assets of of that portfolio, and all you know all combined, we've got over a hundred million unique uh, monthly users, which is a very powerful uh, portfolio for us to take into the marketplace. But the TV, I mean, now more than ever, it's more clearly that the TV is really a separate operation, a separate sort of strategy than the online. It, that's correct. And what was that's the reason correct. for that? Why was that split or how was that? Um, you know, the reason for that is because um, Fusion launched as a um, as a new service that was targeting uh, U.S. U.S. Hispanics and English. That's right. That was that was the um, the strategy uh, with the partnership between um, between ABC News right. and and Univision. And what we learned very quickly is that um, uh, the the the. The target audience, which are you know millennials, um, they don't watch you know they don't they don't watch all of their news on on, on linear television. You know right. they consume it mostly on mobile and and digital. Uh, so what what we discovered is that for the television, we really need to start leaning into more of the docu series, and um, we'll even be doing some scripted. Uh, whereas on the digital side, you know that's where they were embracing all of the news content. So um, the strategy now is split so that on the digital side, we'll be fo- we'll continue to focus on the news and um, those those um, topics that are very important. But on on the television side, we're going to focus more on the lean back experience. So what you think of traditional TV and, and yes. scripted more, stuff more, and more, Yes, more entertainment, more entertainment, more aspirational type of content. And is it still – do you still sell it separately outside of the Univision bundle or is it now being bundled in when you go into – Well, you... it's the same team that represents the, all of our uh, – the rest of our network. So right. from that perspective, um, it is it is quote-unquote bundled. So it's strategic. It's an important part of the it whole. Ab- it's not it's, some outlier channel that you no, just have now. It's very, it's very important to us. And really there's no other network that's like it um, on, on the channel lineup. You know, it's very mission-driven. Uh, and um, what's really special about it is that the talent um, in front of and behind the camera is representative of the audience that we're targeting. I mean, millennials are, you know, 40 percent, you know, 40, almost 50 percent of millennials are multicultural. And their expectation is that the content that they are consuming is going to represent the world that they live in. And uh, that's not only important as it relates to um, the content that you ultimately see broadcast, but again, making sure that the talent behind the camera that's creating the content has the same sensibility as they do. So I mean, I, as I mentioned, I'm in New York. I I, still, I can't get Fusion TV online. You know, you will cable. When am I going to get it? When's it? <laughs> when you figure out this thing with Charter, right? That's right. That's right. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll look out for it then. That's when I'll know that you guys have sorted out the whole uh, negotiations with them. And so Fusion is not something you guys are going to spin off or it being a separate thing. It'll it's bundled in. It's a strategic part of Univision's portfolio, as you pointed Fusion, out. Fusion is a very important part of, of Univision, yes. What about, uh, and I know this is less under your purview, but the you know the websites themselves, including mm-hmm. the Cocker, I mean, how is that, what is the strategy there going forward? You, you guys seem to own so many digital properties now. A lot of them very well known, as, as we mentioned at the top of the show. You know, what's the strategy there? Where is that going? How does that fold into what you're doing in terms of the TV stuff yeah. and the ad and the and the distribution plays? Right. Well, I love I, I loved when the company made the decision to acquire that portfolio. And it was interesting because uh, as I would see colleagues and friends at different industry events and dinners, I'd get the question like, what? You guys you guys acquired Gawker, huh? I don't get it. But not Gawker.com. So no, Gawker. let's be clear about but, that. But, yeah. but, you know, in response to the I don't get it. 
it or what, what, why um, this, the head scratching is exactly the reason why we acquired it. It's exactly the reason. If we went out and continued just to acquire like assets, we'd be we'd probably be criticized for not diversifying the portfolio. And the fact that um, that um, that the Gawker portfolio had a um, very strong uh, lineup of, of uh, a variety of verticals with extremely loyal um, users and an audience, uh, and it gave us the opportunity to then. Uh, get into those verticals without having to do it organically and, you know, ramp up over time, gave us instant access to it. It was a very, uh, it was a very attractive acquisition to us. And, and how has that been so far? How's the integration working out? It's folding it, them in. I mean, it's good. Look, it's, it's, it's as, as any other typical, it's not easy. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not easy, but, um, but we're, we're making, we're making great progress. And one example of that is that, um, you know, some of the, uh, some of the assets from the portfolio are going to have um, uh, TV shows on Fusion TV. I mean, we're trying, what, what we're really focused on is um, the magic that can happen when you take a digital audiences and can convert them to, you know, to television. And what I find to be really interesting is that um, while a lot of the digital media companies, the digital assets get a lot of um, credit for being, you know, so hipster and cool and here we're old, we're old traditional media, where is it that all those cool hip digital companies want to be? They want to be on TV. They want to be on TV. We love TV. Yeah, they want you all want to you all want to be, on, want to be on TV. You I want mean, to be on TV, and that's the reality of it. I mean that 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 is the reality of it. Still, it is still an awesome, powerful platform, and that's where that's where you need to be. Um, so no, I I think that's a fair. You know, we're at Vox Media. That's a you know, video is is an important strategy right now to any kind of online publisher. Period. I think. You know, how that plays out on TV or if it plays out on TV or to the degree that TV is a factor in that, certainly something that can't be overlooked. Um, you guys already have, you know, distribution on television. So, yeah, sure, why not? Is that how the investments are happening uh, on the digital properties that, like, trying to convert some of these things into TV shows? Or are you just going to spend more money to try to build more audience online? How does that – how do you divide that? Yeah, It's both. Okay. It's both, and that's why it's great to work in a media company that ha that is multi-platform, and that we have that opportunity, and we can do that kind of experimentation. I mean, is I guess the other you know the online stuff is generally seen as news, right? So whether it's the Gawker sites or Fusion. .net, I guess, what, I forget what you guys are calling it now, Splinter, is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, that's going through a reprint. Point is, I mean, these are these are news operations, right? They're news and lifestyle. News and lifestyle yes. operations, certainly. Yes. Um, is that where the news is going and, and the Fusion TV and the other TV networks are more strictly entertainment? Is there... Entertainment and lifestyle. Got it. So there's less strategically news on the TV, but you might pull from it online. When you guys acquired Gawker Media Sites, now you guys call it Gizmodio Media Group, Gawker.com was separated out of that. Partly, there was a whole lot of legal rambling around it. It was just a cleaner acquisition. Now all that that's happened, now all that's over, right, with the Hulk Hogan suit against Gawker and the craziness that created, Gawker.com is actually up for sale now. I read that, yeah. yeah. Would you guys buy it? <laughs> um, I, there, there's no discussion uh, underway about us buying it that I'm aware of. Okay, all right. But who knows? You could add you could add more audience that way immediately. I, th I think there's it's still a beloved site in a lot of ways, especially amongst New York media circles. So it's always somewhat something that's on the minds of people. Before we go, I want to get uh, into your career a bit more, though. I mean, you how long have you been in TV? 
Um, Working in the media business, basically. Yeah, over 20 years. 20 years. And you're you know, a very high-profile <laughs> woman now in the business. Um, that, that had to have been challenging. You know, it's a very male-dominated industry. It's a really – you know, you got people like Rupert Murdoch and John Malone and, and Barry Diller, really sort of colorful – swashbuckling uh, male personalities, um, which then sort of trickle down into the, all these organizations. What, what was that like? Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's been a great experience for me. I mean, obviously, I, I wouldn't have stayed in the business if, uh, if I didn't like it and I didn't feel challenged. And uh, I mean, the fact that I was named the chief revenue officer as a woman um, and, you know, and when CROs are not really typical uh, positions in a, in a traditional media company's org chart. So I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of myself, but I'm also really proud of our company um, for making that move, uh, not just in putting me in that position, but also um, because I believe we're being extremely innovative and pursuing our, uh, our business in that way. So, I mean, certainly well-recognized now, but, you know, getting there must have been you know, not, I mean, it's not easy for anybody anyway, just to yeah. kind of rise up through any yeah. any kind of rank. But I guess as a woman, it must have been more challenging. You know, it starting is challenging. Out and it, it, it is challenging, and I'm uh, I am often the only woman in the room. And if I if I were to say to you, or if it ever becomes uh, the case that I am uncomfortable with that, or I I don't think about that, the fact that I'm the only woman in the room, then uh, then I'm done. It's time for me to go home. And I say that just because I feel like uh, it's my responsibility to uh, to sponsor other women and to make sure that it doesn't continue to be that, you know, there's just there's so few or only one woman in the room. So it's very much present. In, it's very much present in my mind. You, you mean you can't just think of yourself as one of the guys and try to gloss over things that might have been said. You have to stand up and say, well, hey, that's not you can't say that or that's not cool. What, well, what do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah, well, okay, first of all, I definitely call people out for sure. Right. <laughs> but what I mean by it is that if I were, it, there was, a, there was a, uh, a panel that I was on at one time and there was another uh, female executive in the business and she said that she often is asked about what it's like to be the only woman in the, uh, in the boardroom or in the dining room. And she said, it doesn't phase me. Doesn't even doesn't even phase me. And I thought to myself in that moment, if I ever get to a point where it doesn't phase, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable with it, and I'm I'm still effective, and it doesn't hold me back. The fact that I'm the only woman in the room, but if it ever doesn't phase me, or if I don't think for a moment, hmm, this isn't right, or it shouldn't be this way, then I'm done <laughs> because it's because it matters to me, and it should matter to everybody. It matters to I mean, it makes a big difference in terms of business success and performance. I believe that a hundred percent, and so I feel like it is my responsibility and my duty to do what I can to to reach down and bring other women up and to call the guys out. Yeah. on the fact that there aren't more women in this room and you should be embarrassed by that. And you should, you too should want to do something about that for your own, for your own benefit. How many times have you had to call people out? In uh, too, too many. Too many times. <laughs> too many. You can, you can tell us about any one of those incidents if you want. <laughs> no, I, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> um, so this is something you seem passionate about this, you know, women, you know, sort of rising through the ranks and, and making it and you want to, help other women rise through what what have you seen lately that sort of you know sparked more of this concern yeah well for in terms of it being important to me i would say next to the well-being of my family and and myself yes i mean it's probably what it's it is a key priority for me and in my life's mission and uh i saw 
recently, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was the New York Times did a poll. It was in response to uh, Vice President Pence saying that he would never dine one on one with any other woman but his but wife. But his wife, yeah. But his wife. So the Times did a poll asking both men and women if they thought it was appropriate for men and women to have dinner or drinks together in a business setting um, or in a business context. And believe it or not, not only the men, but also the women uh, agreed that it is inappropriate. And it makes the women. Wow. And yeah. it, it makes me incredibly frustrated and also sad because uh, business is it's ba- it's it's they're built on it's built on relationships, not just the media business, but really all businesses. It You're comes, going to dinner to to have these. It meetings comes back sometimes. to relationships, yeah. and right there in that moment, I realized damn, it's still a boys club and it's going to continue to be a boys club because women don't even feel like they belong to, they that they deserve to be part of the quote unquote club or they don't feel comfortable enough. And I don't know, and I've been thinking about it a lot and I've been talking with other women about how we, how, how can we coach women or how can we give women the tools uh, to feel comfortable in that setting? Because getting ahead in your career, uh, you have to be in a position to build relationships. And and especially in the media business, so much of those relationships and so much of those conversations happen over meals or over drinks. And that's not to say it's inappropriate at all. It's not inappropriate. And uh, again, it's just, it's a life's mission for me to, you know, to influence and to help and, and to sponsor. I'm not, a, I'm not a person that's big on mentoring, but sponsorship, where you stand up and you, uh, you put your political capital behind an individual is very much what I'm about. Well, Tanya O'Connor, we love having you in the room. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much I for like coming. I like being here. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. I'm going to throw it back to Peter Kafka one more time so he can tell you about where to find more podcasts like this one. Thanks again to Tanya O'Connor for coming on the podcast. And thanks to Ed Lee, Recode's managing editor, for doing the interview. Ed, you got a future in this business. Keep at it. Thanks to you guys for listening. If you've reached this point in the episode, it means you really, really like us. We really, really like you. All we ask is that you tell more people about us. You know how to do that, too, because you're very smart, because you listen to Recode Media. While you're at it, since you are a Recode listener, go listen to Kara Swisher's show, Recode Decode. Kara also does one with Lauren Good from The Verge called Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thanks to our sponsors, TransferWise and Amazon Web Services. Thanks to Digital Media, the company that sells those ads so you can listen to this for free. Thanks to my producers, Beth O'Connell and Eric Johnson, my editor, Chris Basil. Thanks again to you guys for listening. See you next week.